Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Oh, good to see all your bright, smiling faces. Uh, my name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here. Before we dive into the message, I'm just going to pray one more time. Um, I'm not one of those guys who, like, sees a demon behind every bush, but today, let me tell you, oh my word, uh, I think the enemy did not want us to have church. We tried to get our truck and trailer running. It would not start. Could not get the hood open to jump it. We finally got it open. Uh, we got here, and uh, all our band uses iPads, so they don't have to have paper music. And uh, the thing that charged them like didn't work last night, so those weren't charged. We had tech issues, so that's why the lighting's a little different than normal. But praise God, we're here. Amen. Amen. That's right. Where else can Packers fans and Vikings fans come together to worship Jesus? Amen? Amen. This is the house of the Lord. Amen. And there is joy in the house of the Lord. So we're going to have fun this morning. We're going to pray, and let's dive into our word. God, thank you that you are here in the room. God, thank you that you bring Packers fans and Vikings fans together, but we do pray that the Vikings would win. Amen. And Lord, uh, give Kirk Cousins a strong arm and clear minds. And uh, God, we just thank you uh, that you are here. Thank you that you are the faithful one. And so we're just here to, to learn from you. God, I pray that your spirit would be moving and active in all of our lives. Uh, just fill me with your presence again. Uh, God, I pray that, that these would be your words communicated through me, God, that everyone would receive from you the word that they need to hear this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, why don't you stand as we read God's word together. Normally, I read out of the ESV, but there's a few verses I love in the NIV. That's what I grew up reading uh, as a kid. And so today, we're going to read Philippians 1 in the NIV version. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. This is the word of the Lord. Everyone said, amen. amen. Take a seat. I truly believe that each and every one of us have greatness inside of us. See, you were not meant to live a mediocre life. But I believe that greatness can only be unlocked by doing two things. Number one, choosing to never settle. And number two, always choosing to invest in others. So I think lives are truly changed one-on-one. -on -one. I love classroom instruction like this. I love groups and learning by yourself and podcasts and things like that. But there's nothing quite like one-on-one -on -one interactions and investing in someone. That's where lives are changed. What made Michael Jordan truly great. Number one, he never settled. He always pushed himself. He knew there was always a next step to take to take his, great, his game to the next level. But also, Michael Jordan invested heavily in his teammates and made them better around him. Steve Jobs, what made him great was this insatiable desire to see 
not just clearly what was in front of him, but to see what did not exist yet and to make that a reality by pushing his team to do what everyone thought was impossible. The best musicians and the best chefs, the best clothing designers, the best whatever you might want to fill in that blank in are those who never settle, that they always believe there's more to be had, but then also invest in their teammates around them to make them better. Uh, this week, I was listening to a podcast with Tim Tebow on it. Remember Tim Tebow, one of the greatest college football uh, players of all time, um, won a playoff game for the Broncos and then didn't really make it. But now he's a speaker. He does amazing things, starting orphanages and um, nonprofits, rescuing uh, kids out of sexual slavery. Uh, he, he's a phenomenal leader. And he was telling the story about the first time he went to go play Little League Baseball. His family had grown up in the Philippines, and they came back to the States. And so his first game, you know, he's just a little kid, Little League, and he hears his coach say, hey, kids, all right, what matters is not winning and losing. It's about having fun. And Tim Tebow looked like at his coach like he was crazy. And he's like, what are you talking about, coach? The only thing that matters is winning. And, and, and the coach is like, come here to Tim Tebow's parents and, and said, hey, there's, I think there's a problem with, with little Timmy. And they're like, what? Well, he, he's all about winning. And they're like, okay. And so they, just, they pull him aside and they're like, Tim, the coach doesn't get it. Like, <laughs> we, we're, we're playing to win. We're going to have fun too, but winning's a lot more fun than losing. And in that game, Tim Tebow found himself like playing shortstop, but then running over to first base to tag someone out because he realized he tried to throw the ball to the other teammates and, and they weren't very good. He had like five older siblings. Uh, he's an elite athlete. He was all around the field trying to make the plays. But then after the game, his dad told him, Tim, you did your best, but ultimately, thanks, you're, you weren't a good teammate. And what he realized was he could be the best athlete in the world, but to be who he wanted to be, that wasn't going to happen unless he learned how to inspire others, to invest in others, and to be a leader that way. That's why he won two national championships that's why he took a very mediocre Broncos team to the playoffs and knocked off the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's why today he continues to push himself and his team to rescue girls out of sexual slavery, to build orphanages, to build hospitals, to do amazing things. Because he's learned it's not just about personal greatness. It's also about investing in others. And I think the best way to do that is through one-on-one -on -one interactions. And so today... We're going through this series we're calling Vision, kind of about who our church is, kind of where we've been in the future of our church. And our, our statement is that everyone has a next step. And the big idea in this is that we never settle on our spiritual journey in our lives for living mediocre, unhappy lives, because I believe God wants us to live lives full of joy, Amen and peace, and hope, and love. So wherever you are, there's a next step that you can take in that journey of following Christ. But also, what that also means, it's not just about us and what we want. It's about investing in others. Because when we invest in others, that's what truly unlocks greatness in our own lives. In the story of our church, I, I think back to our, our first year as a church, we needed a drummer. And I met this 
college student, Justin Fury, at North Central, and he came and he started drumming with us for a while. And let me tell you, Justin was great, but he's a little rough around the edges, all right? He had some things he needed to work on. How many guys know Matt at all up here at Leading Worship, doing a great job with a hurt back and knee? Matt is awesome. Matt is also one of the most laid back guys I know. Like, rarely do things rattle him. And one time, uh, Justin Fury was getting on all our nerves, and it was Good Friday. We're focusing on the cross. And let me tell you, I think Matt was almost going to punch him in the face. Like, that's how bad Justin was in this moment. And it was like, whoa, I've never seen Matt like that, right? Fast forward. So he becomes a ministry intern. We take him down to Exponential Conference. He's still growing. He's learning. Uh, he wants to be a church planner. He wants to be a pastor. I'm like, hey, I think you need to graduate. You need some life experience. You need to go take about three years as a youth pastor. He's like, I don't know. He ends up getting some life experience. Youth pastor for three years plants a church, and now we are supporting him. He's reaching out to me constantly, asking me questions, uh, ask, saying, hey, can I steal the sermon series? I'm like, yes, give away everything you have. All our lobby stuff, we send him the files, he just changed the name of it from Mosaic Church to Thrive Church. And because of that investment in his life, lives are being changed in Pelican Rapids two hours north. I think of Kyle and Matilda Tromenhauser, this couple who came here saying they wanted to go plant Mosaic International Fellowship in Munich, Germany, and they were a part of our community for about a little over a year. And then we invested in them, met with them, poured into them, invested 20000 or so dollars over four years into their church. And they are changing lives in Munich, Germany. I think of Daniel Jones. When Matt, uh, his job was taken off and he'd take a little break from leading worship, we had our lead guitar player, Daniel. And he filled in as our, our worship leader. Well, then where did Daniel, Daniel go? Daniel went to St. Paul and helped start Vertical Church. And now they're in a beautiful building, and I'm not jealous at all that they're in a building in way less time than us, and it's so good. But God used him after being here for a season and getting invested in to go change lives over there. I think of Justin and Rihanna Arfston. They came out of a background of a really messy, gross, uh, charismatic church that took advantage of them. And they were beaten up, and they were hurting. We said, hey, just come here and, and just heal for a while. And then, hey, all right, you, you ready to get back in the game? You want to lead our prayer ministry? Give them time to, to preach up here, invested in them, served on our board, and then sent them out to go start their own ministry. I think of Justin and Kristen Bazzani. Again, came here. Both had horrible things happen uh, in their previous marriages, uh, a betrayal and just bad stuff. They get married to each other, and, and they've got some kids together, and, and, and they're here for a season, about a year and a half, two years. And again, invested in them, ministry interns. And now what? They're in Buffalo, and they've started a brand new church that's also in a building. Praise God for that. Way to go, guys. You're celebrating your one-year anniversary. So happy for you. Uh, and then Emily, who used to be up here singing from North Central, and one of our phenomenal vocalists, and she led a team of North Central students in. Josh did an outreach night one time in here when he was our youth pastor. Um, I'm in this room, and she brought a killer North Central team leading worship. She had this amazing voice. COVID hits, she finishes up her degree at North Central, goes back to North Dakota. Now Emily's married, she's a mom, and she's serving in youth and, and worship ministry at her church in North Dakota. I don't know who would want to live in North Dakota, but she is, and she's changing lives there, amen? See, here's the thing we have to recognize. There's always a next step for us to take. We want to be more fruitful, but also our fruit grows in other people's trees. See, when we invest in others, they go out. We get to celebrate that, right? As a church, we always want to be known more for our sending capacity than our seeding capacity. 
That's way more important. There's a massive difference between gathering a crowd and raising up disciples and sending them out. Do I wish that every person who'd come through the doors of Mosaic was still here? Yeah, there are a lot of Sundays. I'd love to see this whole bottom section filled with those people. But do I also celebrate when they're doing ministry in North Dakota and Germany and, and uh, up in North, two, you know, and uh, two hours away in Pelican Rapids and, and in St. Paul, all those areas? Absolutely. And so as a church body, part of our vision is however long you are part of our body, we're going to be thankful for that. We want to help you take your next steps of health and healing and wholeness and then to teach you as well to invest in others. That's our goal. That's what the big idea of there's everyone has a next step. We never get complacent. We never sit on the sidelines, whether you're retired or 21 or 12-year-olds sitting back there running slides, right? We always have a next step. See, the stakes are so high, though. See, the stakes are so high. Here's what uh, some people very, a lot smarter than me tell me. If, if you study different churches and even different countries, what happens often is there's a generation who believed the gospel. They lived it out. It was real to them. They had a real relationship with God. But then the next generation, they kind of just assumed the gospel. They grew up in it. They didn't have a real experience in it. They're relying on the faith of their parents. Instead, they're identifying more with the trappings or the entitlements of the church, of the gospel, of those kind of programs. But it's not real to them. They're not truly believing and living out the gospel. They're just assuming the gospel. The fallen generation just denies the gospel. Because what did they see from their parents? It wasn't real. It was just a social club. It didn't matter. So many times this happens. This generation does not prioritize community groups and Bible studies and, and worship with others and, and sports becomes more important. Sorry to tread on the, the, the golden idol of, of our generation. And their kids are like, well, then church clearly doesn't matter because traveling sports is so much more important to my parents than the actual gospel. Again, hear me. I'm not against sports. I love sports. My kids are in Saturday's soccer for the first time uh, yesterday. It's great. But the stakes are high. Because this so easily happens where we go from a generation who believes the gospel, lives it out. It's so real to them. Next generation, they're just kind of around it, but it's never real to them. And the following generation, they deny it and they walk away. This is why you see in a lot of mainline denominations that the generation that believed it, next generation that just assumed it, and then the third generation, they're denying it. They're not living out the power of the gospel. Today, kids are discipled more often by Mr. Beast on YouTube than their parents. My son's stickers back there. Today, young men are more discipled by Gary Vee and Joe Rogan than older men in the church. Church, we need to do better. One of my favorite podcasts is sports podcasts, but they're always talking about different people who need to do better. And that's kind of what I feel like we need to do, all of us, church. We need to do better. We need to not abdicate our responsibility of discipleship to YouTube and long-form podcasts, amen? What that means is we are gonna have to say, hey, I'm never done. I have a next step to take. I need to keep growing myself, stretching myself, and then invest in others to help them grow as well. How do we do this? Well, we need to become a no matter what church. That no matter what you've done, that you are welcome here. No matter your background, you are welcome here. No matter if you leave this church or any other church and want to come back, hey, you are welcome here. No matter your questions, you are welcome here. 
No matter how you've been hurt, you are welcome here. That we'll do no matter what it takes to reach people for the gospel, amen? If that's figuring out how to open the hood on a 1993 Ford F-250, because Brian and I don't, and it's kind of weird, and we got to jump it this morning to get it over here, we will do that. If it means calling our tech guy because he's at Glacier National Park and saying, we got to get lyrics up here, help us, and he helps us do what we're going to do no matter what it takes to help people hear the gospel message, amen? We want to be a no matter what church. And so we're in this series of vision and saying everyone has a next step. That's what we're talking about today. In this whole series, I've been thinking a lot about John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Now, I love poetry and how things rhyme. And I think we went through the book Gospel of John, and John is just brilliant. And in those two chapters, I really think Ryan touched on these a little bit, and I'm going to touch about it a little bit today. And the next couple weeks, we're going to also just kind of highlight these a little bit. John chapter 3, what do we got? It's seen, it's night. Jesus gets visited by Nicodemus. He's a priest. That means he's in, in Jerusalem. He's probably pretty wealthy. He's a man. He has all the privileges in the world, all the education, everything going for him, and yet he's got all these doubts. Because he was taught one true God, and yet there's a man claiming to be God. How can that be true? And he doesn't get it, and he's got all these doubts. So what does he do? He goes one-on-one to Jesus. And he's not content to settle. He knows he has a next step to take, so he goes to Jesus. John chapter 4, next chapter, it's not by accident. What happens? What's the scene? Brightest part of the day, it's noon. Jesus is passing through not Jerusalem, but Samaria. He meets a woman at the well. Complete opposite, man, woman. All the rights and privileges, this woman most likely has been used and abused. Most likely she either has infertility issues or she's a single mom because she's been through six men and the man she's with now is not her husband. So we don't know much about her. But John gives us a little clue that uh, she's at this well that uh, Jacob gave to son Joseph, and we think of the story of Joseph and how he was wronged and falsely accused of all these things in his stories. That's John giving us some clues to the woman at the well. What does this woman know? She meets Jesus, she's talked to him, she knows she's got a next step to take. In both situations, what happens? We talked about this last week, Jesus changes everything. What I love is the man with all the rights, privileges, education, in that moment, he's not sure. He's got more questions. We see a couple of chapters later, John chapter 7, uh, he, he's bringing up some, you know, I don't think we should kill him, and all the other Pharisees are kind of going against him. It isn't until really Acts chapter 7 that our Dr. Luke tells us that all these priests then came to Jesus, and I'm pretty sure that was Nicodemus, came to be a part of the church. It took him a while. Hey, we want to be no matter what church. You're a dude, you're highly educated, you got questions, great Let's discuss those. Let's talk about them. Take your next step. But Jesus eventually changed his life, right? Woman at the well, what happened with her? Instantly, she's in. Jesus changes her life. We're talking about this. What does she do? She brings the gospel news to her town. Come see a man who knew everything about me. Oh, it's so beautiful. We're gonna talk about that a little bit next week, why everybody needs somebody. In both those stories, they live it out. But in both those stories, they had to come to Jesus one-on-one. And I believe lives are changed one-on-one. And that's our value. That's what we're talking about today. All right, back to Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. What we're going to see is that there's three things now that Paul is praying for this new church. Now, again, set in the scene. Paul's in prison. 
Paul's been preaching the gospel, falsely accused of some things. He gets sent off to Rome. He's writing this letter with the dust of the prison on his knees as he's praying for these churches that he's planted. Never once does he pray that God would change his circumstances. He only prays for strength. And then he prays for the people he's invested in. So this is what Paul is praying. Again, let's go back to this. He's gonna pray that love will overflow. I pray, he's writing to his church plan, that your love will overflow more and more and you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. This idea of the love overflow, it's like a geyser. You know, if you've been to you know, Yellowstone, a geyser shooting up to God of their love just outflowing up to God. This is why we worship, right? I heard a preacher talking about how when God created the angels, he created Gabriel when he needed God to send a word to the people. And oftentimes he uses Gabriel to send a word to people. He created Michael when he needed someone to do battle. And Michael's the archangel, he's doing battle. Then he created this other angel, Lucifer, who's supposed to be the head of worship. What happened to Lucifer? The devil. He gets jealous. He wants to worship for himself. He falls to the earth. Does God create another angel to be the head of worship? No. Whose responsibility is it now to bring glory and honor to our God? That's us. What an amazing responsibility. We get to gather together corporately, and there's something that happens that's different when you're worshiping with other people than by yourself. That's why it's so important. That's why our band works hard to hone their skills. They know uh, there's always a next level of inspiring each other to be better so that we can together give glory and honor up to God. And so your love overflow, picture that geyser, uh, Old Faithful, it's shooting up to heaven, but also it's a flood. It's spilling out over us to the people in our rows around us, in our circles, in our community groups, in our families, uh, in our neighborhoods, in, in, in the kids we invest in. That's, that's Paul praying. Your love's gonna overflow. It's more, more, more. That's what Paul's praying for these people. I pray that your love would overflow. Think guys are shooting up to heaven. Think flood out to everyone around you. One of my favorite bands is the Beatles. They're brilliant. They said, all you need is love, but they're very wrong. <laughs> That's not all you need. So what does Paul pray? You keep on growing in knowledge. Love is not enough. You need to keep growing in knowledge. Keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. They're connected, Right? Loving God is more important than just knowledge, but the more you know God, the more you're gonna love God. Every new thing known about God is a new reason for loving him. When you realize the depth of his power and love that was poured out on the cross for us, when you realize how every moment of weakness we have is filled up by his grace and mercy, you say, thank you, God. When you realize the amazing power of his creative love and how he created this universe for us to enjoy and love you think, wow, thank you, God. This is why we study theology. This is why we go into the book of Romans because as you grow in knowledge for God, theology done right means that our love for God grows even more and more. See, Christian love comes from a work of the Holy Spirit bringing the revelation of Christ through the word of God. I'm gonna say that again. The Christian love comes from a work of the Holy Spirit bringing the revelation of Christ through the word of God. The more you're in the word, the more your love is gonna grow. A superficial love for God is a sure sign of a superficial knowledge of God. We gotta be in the word. 
We gotta, we gotta gather together with our Bibles and hearts open to God. That's why Sunday mornings are so important. We must daily open the scriptures. We must teach our children these. You know, talk about Bible stories. This summer, we said we invested in Right Now Media. So many good videos. Right now, we've been going through a super book with our kids at nighttime. It's just getting them in the word. So they, they know more about God. They're gonna love God more. That's why we gotta get the gospels and the epistles in our souls. The more you know him, the more your love's gonna rush up to him like a geyser and spread out to the world. And then number three, what does he pray? To understand what really matters. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Uh, there's a fancy kind of Christian word we use for this. It's discernment. And discernment is not just knowing right from wrong. Because that's usually pretty easy, right? Like, wake up today, Jesse, don't murder anyone. Pretty easy, right? But to know not just right from wrong, but the good from the best. That is what the way of Jesus is. It's saying, out of all the good things I could do, what is the best that God wants for me? And if we get that wrong, God's got plenty of mercy and grace. But he wants us to grow in that, to grow in discernment, to know how do we focus our time, our energies, our efforts in what really matters. That's practical insight for living. Here's how theologian Marcus Bachmuth says it. I don't know how I say that, but I just like to say it that way. He's from overseas, so you know. It's the spirit-bred ability to discern that which God has already marked off as essential or superlative regarding life in Christ. This ability, not, not only distinguishing right from wrong, but also the best from second best. It's saying, Jesus, teach me. How do I invest in my time? Pastor Josh down here, stay-at-home dad, does an awesome job. He could send his kids to Heritage. You could afford that. You could do that. You're good. But he's got to pray. What's the best thing? Is it to send my kids after school? Is it to be their teacher? And Josh has prayed and discerned. He's their teacher. He's homeschooling them. He's invested in them because the best thing that he can spend his time on right now is investing in those two beautiful, precious little children. Now, that's different for each and every one of us, right? For some of us, it's like, we're going to send our kids to this public school because we believe investing in the community. For some of us, it's sending our kids to Christian school. For some of us, it's homeschooling our kids. It's, it's knowing what is the best for me, and my life, my gifts, the way God has wired me up. That's what discernment is all about. And as God's children, as we overflow with our love to God and others, along with this personal knowledge of God, we're gonna discern and know what is best, the best over the good. Again, that's what changed people like Michael Jordan and Steve Jobs and, and the best musicians in the world, they knew they had to separate out just kind of the good things from the very best to be who God created them to be. Now, did all of them serve and follow Jesus? No. But we can take that as an example of learning what it means to, to learn what is the best. Many of you have invested in this church over the last seven years, and you say, why would I keep investing into this community? What's your return on that investment? It's 40 lives that have been changed, passing from death to life, who have gone public with their faith in Christ through baptism. About that number of people who have said yes to Jesus for the very first time. About that same number of kids who have been dedicated to the Lord on stage with their parents saying, we want to raise our kids knowing Jesus. 
It's people like I've talked about who we've invested in and, and poured time and, and, and resources in to send them to conferences, to give them books to read. And then we send them out to do different ministry works across the, the world and across the country. That's what really matters. Not just gathering a crowd. Our fruit grows in other people's trees. So it's learning what is most important. And what's the result, Paul tells us. The result is a pure and blameless life. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand what really matters so that then you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. I think that's something we all hope for, right? This is transparency of heart. It's not having to hide things. It's a heart with pure and unmixed desires that what you see is what you get. In kind of the Greek idea is this pure, it's metal that's not mixed with other substances. It's pure gold. It's pure silver, whatever that might be. And blameless literally means without stumbling. The result will be living pure, morally transparent life, free from stumbling, able to stand upright and pure one day in the dazzling presence of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. It's living a life that's not filled with shame or regrets. It's saying, yeah, I want to be pure. I want to be blameless. I want to be able to stand before my Savior, covered in his grace and mercy, living in a way that's honoring to God. What else? What's the result? To be fruitful. He says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring glory and praise to God. All this is, it's, it, it, Paul wants them not just standing pure and tall without stumbling, but he wants them to be filled with the fruit of godly desires. That Christ would be evident in righteous, fruitful living. That the fruit of the Spirit is evident. That more and more as we grow closer to Jesus, people see us as more loving, having more peace in our lives, more joyful, more filled with hope and patience and long-suffering and meekness. That is brought about as we press on into Christ. See, a tree that has fruit shows it's alive. That's good. But a tree filled with fruit glorifies its gardener, amen? It's, it's good to just have some fruit to show that we are alive in Christ. That's great. But wouldn't you much rather have be filled with fruit so the gardener comes and well done, good and faithful servant. What I love too is that in God's kingdom, fruit grows on broken trees too. Amen? That's a phrase that uh, Rick Warren uh, first said after his 20-something-year-old son committed suicide. His son struggled with depression and chronic pain and would go on different suicide boards and talk people off the ledge and would share his struggles. And he saved many lives. And he invested in people. He discipled young men who were struggling. But he couldn't get over this chronic pain. They didn't know what was wrong. It was causing depression and he ultimately ended his own life. It's tragic, but still, God uses broken trees to bring about fruit, amen? But 
that's why we need to keep investing, keep growing. The stakes are so high. A week ago Monday, I attended a funeral of a pastor at Eaglebrook that I used to work with. He's a 50-something with 20-something-year-old adult kids. And for whatever reason, in the culture of that church, he said I just didn't, he didn't, never felt like he could be open about his struggles. And he took his own life. And boy, that was a hard funeral to go to. And again, we celebrated. Broken trees still bear fruit. And God used them in a powerful way. But I think every staff member there was asking themselves, what if? What, what if I had pressed in closer? What if I had seen him? What if we had been a place where we could be more open with our brokenness? Would that have made a difference? Because the stakes are so high, amen? People are hurting. We met with the police chief, about a dozen pastors of us, um, last week. We have a great city, uh, police chief of Maple Grove. Uh, really great city, a lot of things going on, but there's an opiate uh, crisis still. Um, a lot of people overdosing. A lot of people trying to medicate their pain away. And, and they're showing up and saving a lot of lives, but still, that's probably one of the number one issues uh, in the city of Maple Grove. As that's depression, people over-medicating, trying to make the pain go away, to numb it, and then ultimately losing their lives over that. The stakes are so high. I think of all the kids who are in broken homes, kids that are bullied every day, kids that have questions about their gender and sexuality and they don't understand and they're so confused. And you know what? A lot of those kids think the church has nothing to say to them. So they turn to Mr. Beast. And they turn to their favorite YouTuber. They turn to their favorite TikToker looking for answers. Church, we gotta do better. All of us, right? The stakes are so high. We can't get complacent in our own faith, our own journey. Then we gotta see the people around them. We gotta invest in them one on one. And what are the results of this? It's gonna bring glory and praise to God. For this will bring glory and praise to God. We need our lives to be a doxology to the praise and glory of God as part of the endless joyous commitment to God's glory. You might be saying, okay, Eric, this sounds awesome. I wanna do this, but how do I do that? I wanna bring glory and praise to God, but how do I get my love to overflow? How do I grow in knowledge and understand what really matters, right? Because otherwise, if I just sent you out here, be like, be well. Like, I don't know how to do any of this. Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what we're gonna talk about here as we wrap up today. I kind of asked this question. I believe there are two big categories of things. There are our personal spiritual practices, and then we can call them Communal, we can call them shared, whatever word makes you happy. Because like communal makes it sound like communisms or I don't know. So community, communal, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but I think we have these different spiritual practices because here's the thing. Following Jesus is something you do, not just agreeing to a list of beliefs. We don't do anything to save us. Jesus saves him by his actions on the cross. We put our faith in him, we are saved but the act of following Jesus is something we have to do, all right? So it's not just some beliefs, it's we actually have to do something. So we talked about this last week a little bit. We've spent our whole summer on this. They're all on YouTube. Go back and listen to any of these messages. If you have any questions, Ryan and I at any time are willing to sit down. Let's grab coffee. Let's talk face-to-face about this. Number one, 
Here's the things we think are gonna help you have love overflow, to grow in knowledge and understanding, uh, to live an upright and blameless life. The things that Paul's talking about, here's how I think the pathway to those things is. Number one, start the day in scripture. Too many of us still start the day on our phones. It's so easy to check social media, check email, check our fantasy football scores, right? Start the day first thing in scripture. Again, it could be the verse of the day. What is it? How can you start your day on this foundation to start your day right? Number two, embrace times of silence and solitude. Noise and chaos and confusion. We see Jesus model this in Mark 1 and so many other times. He goes out. He gets time to center himself, to listen to the Father, to commune with the Spirit. We have to have times of silence and solitude. Can't just always be blaring noise. I'm a musician. I love music. We gotta have times of silence and solitude. Practice a weekly Sabbath. I'm a workaholic. I love to work. Hardest spiritual practice for me is to take 24 hours off from work. So those of you who love work too, I get it. But taking 24 hours is putting God on his throne and saying God's continuing to work even when I'm not. And I think even those who are working two jobs and, 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 and you're struggling to make ends meet, is there a way you can start off by saying, all right, I'm gonna take a four-hour Sabbath. I've got four hours I'm not gonna work this week. Eight hours, 10, 12, you're building that up. And again, maybe you're in the service industry or, or whatever it might be, and, and, and your, your week looks different week to week. Maybe your Sabbath's gonna change. But can you work up to 24 hours of just of playing, enjoying Jesus, worshiping with him? Embrace simplicity. You know, can you, can you pay off debt? Because that's such a burden on us. Can you give stuff away you don't need? Can you cut back on your schedule and your spending? You know, if you have 16 different streaming platforms and you're always searching for something to watch, maybe just go down to one. You know, how can you simplify your life? I believe that's the way of Jesus. Practice sharing the gospel. How are you just sharing the good news of what Jesus is teaching you, how he's changing your life, how, how you're different, how, you know? And then fast and pray on Wednesday mornings. We've encouraged everyone for this. Hey, can you just take at least, at least Wednesday mornings to abstain from eating and drinking and instead focus that time on prayer, pray for those you know who would like to be married who aren't, pray for those who want to be children and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, uh, pray for those who are hurting that need healing uh, and pray for our church to get a permanent building, right? That's what we're praying for. That's what we're fasting for. We want to work up to try a 24-hour fast, but if it's just Wednesday morning, if at all possible, we're, as a community, we know we're all doing this together. But these are kind of the more uh, personal spiritual practices. We talk about them all summer. And now I was going to talk about some of our communal spiritual practices now, Mosaic, we don't have membership. We have partnership because membership, you're more thinking, I'm at the gym. What am I getting out of this? Partnership is saying, hey, we're all in this together. We have linked arms. Uh, we're saying, hey, we are a community of faith. We're encouraging each other. We're all taking our next step together. We believe Jesus changes everything. How do we live this out together in community to live out all those one, on, one another commandments? Commit to a weekly community group. This one, church, is the most important one, I think at least for this next season. I'd like everyone, can you try to commit to a weekly community group? I'd rather have you commit to this than come on Sunday mornings even. That sounds crazy. But if you're here, then I know one of our trusted leaders is invested in you. They're seeing you. You're sharing a meal together. You're worshiping together. You're discussing the same text that we're talking about on Sunday mornings. That's what our community groups do. We have Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And we have a Thursday night online option. So even you don't have to get out of bed. You can log on your computer, talk to Bradley and Jeremy. 
you know, just engage in community. You know, is there a way you can do life with others? We're gonna talk more about this next week. Everybody needs somebody. But second is make this a priority. There's something special when we come together like last Sunday and receive communion together. When we're reminded that everyone's welcome at the table, that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. It's hard to remember that, you know, when you're off on your own, but as a community. And there's something about opening God's word together, of singing together, of serving other believers. So serve others in your church on a regular basis. Now, that could be Sunday morning. That could be some of us have gone over to uh, Melissa Morgan's house and helped her out with some yard work and things like that. Maybe it's a different shut-in. You know, you know uh, is it bringing a meal to your community group? Is it blessing someone with flowers? Is it going over to the house of someone who you know is, is hurting and, and, and needs prayer? There's lots of different ways. But this gets us out of ourselves to serve the body. And love will overflow out. Be a part of the men's or women's Bible study. Again, if you can't make it to one of our community groups, the Bible studies won't be a full replacement of those because we're not gonna share a meal together. We're not gonna be worshiping together. It's gonna be more about knowledge and, and, and studying the book of Romans. But at least then you got some community, right? 6.30 a.m. For, for the guys on Wednesday mornings. That's early. I know. It's gonna be tough. Saturdays at, at uh, 9 a.m., but it's gonna, it's gonna take some sacrifice. You have to get up early on Wednesday mornings. You have to give up part of your Saturday morning. But we have to sacrifice for what matters, amen? Do the green book. A year ago, I was off on a spiritual retreat. I take two nights away to the North Shore every July. I like to coach my son's baseball teams. That kind of goes April through June. Once baseball is over, I go up north, kind of seek the Lord and kind of what is he teaching me? And up there, he really told me, you know, Eric, you need to focus more on this one-on-one discipleship. Now, one-on-one teaching is something I've done. Uh, I was a guitar teacher. That's how I made uh, my rent in college, um, working in bands, different things. But here's the deal. No one growing up ever walked me through the Bible one-on-one, face-to-face. Got a lot of great classroom instruction, went went to Bible college, went to seminary, all these things. So I told God that. I was like, I can't do that because I, I, never, I never had anyone do that for me. And he's like, suck it up, buttercup. Like, figure it out. I'm like, okay. So you have this tool called the green book. Uh, and, and what it is is you sit down face to face. And over 15 sessions, it's supposed to take 15 weeks, but some of us, like Brad and I, took uh, 14 months to go through it uh, instead of 15 weeks. So you figure out your schedules. But it's sitting down. You open up in prayer. And then we open the green book, and then we just actually just read one section after another to each other. A whole bunch of scriptures you look up, and then there's some questions. And you're, and you're talking about your faith, how to live it out. Ryan put it well at, at our Wednesday night meeting. You know, moving your faith from your head to your heart to your hands. You know, what does it mean to live it out? That's what the green book is. It's saying, I've got a next step to take. I'm going to be discipled. And the goal is, as you're discipled, as I've led Ryan through this and Ethan and Bradley and Aaron, they say, oh, that was pretty easy. I could do what Eric did. That's the goal. That when Aaron or Ryan or Brad or Ethan now leads you through it, you go, oh, this is pretty easy. I could do this. I could disciple someone one-on-one. That's the goal. We don't want you walking away saying, wow, they're so amazing and what a good discipler. No, we want you to say, I could do that too. The whole goal is to raise up more disciple makers. That we're stretched, but then we're investing in others. Because everyone has a next step. And then finally, just to give generously. Money's weird, and we don't like to talk about it. But truly, it's one of the best ways to grow in love and and to be more like Jesus. It's just to give generously. 
that's gonna look different for every single person. But I would love to just ask you, take a look at your finances and ask yourself, am I giving generously? Again, that's gonna look differently for every single person. But are you giving generously to this church, to other missionaries, whatever that might be? And just ask the Holy Spirit. And I pray that, that he'll reveal that to you and, and say, yeah, do this, keep, keep it up. Or, or, you know, like for us, part of giving generously, you know, we, we tithe our first 10% back to this church. That's what we've always done. Um, but also, God led us as we became parents to say, you know what, giving generously, um, that also means we're gonna you know, have a, a compassion child that we support for every child that we have. So when Josh was born, we got one compassion child. And then Becca was born, now we got two. Now we got four kids, we got four compassion kids that we sponsor every month. That's just something that we felt led to do, uh, to, to be generous. That's over and above what we give for our tithing. And then we support uh, missionaries in Thailand over and above. Again, that's just... That, that, that's how we give generously. I think also giving generously, it means sacrifice, it means you have to give up some things, right? Our minivan's 10 years old, my car is 18 years old, like, right? Would I love a new car? Absolutely. There are times when I look at what we give generously, it's like, oh, I could drive a Tesla, this would be amazing. My kids love Teslas. But you know what, we've chosen for us, this is what giving generously looks like. This is just me being descriptive, not prescriptive for you, right? Okay? So the question is to look at your finances, look at your time, and just say, am I giving generously? And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that in your mind. So I, again, these are the things that as Mosaic partners, a lot, those of us in it, we're saying, hey, this is what we're committing to as a community. Kind of have this, you know, rule of life, the things, uh, you know, that we, we, we talked about. Uh, you know, these are things we think are very important for our kind of personal, spiritual life of walking with Jesus. And this is kind of how we live it out. This is how love overflows out of us as we're investing in others. We're, we're stretching ourselves to take that next step. And so our goal is to help you take your next step and then to help you invest in those around you and help them take their next step. Uh, to be a good teammate. That's our goal for your life, because there's always more, because I truly believe there is greatness inside each and every one of us, but we're not going to achieve it by just sitting back, getting complacent, and just coasting through life. I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come on up. God, thank you for this morning, and thank you that you are here with us. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that you love us, and there's nothing we have to do to earn salvation in you, but God, you call us to higher heights and deeper depths and more in you. So God, I pray that we would, just, we would not be content and complacent, but God, that you would stretch us to take that next step, that we would see lives around us changed because we've invested in others. God, I, I pray for those maybe in this room who are being stirred up. They've never been discipled one-on-one. -on -one. God, that they would take that step of faith to start doing the green book with, with me or Aaron or, or Ethan or, or Bradley, uh, or Pastor Ryan, or, or Kristen, who's almost done with the green book. God, I pray that you just grow us, help us to know that we all have a next step to take. And God, we pray for the wisdom to know what that next step is. Thank you, God, for meeting us here. And, and in spite of all the technical glitches and, and trucks not wanting to start and all that stuff, God, you are still here. You are glorified. So God, we've come to boast in you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to go out of her singing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. 
I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.